0: afternoon hello hello i'm savannah i'm alicia and this is burden of proof
1: sorry if that sounded (laughs) sorry about that my apologies i was still putting my headphones on
0: clicks to start it and then runs to the very
1: professional around here
0: hey we actually do have a really professional setup
1: setup that doesn't mean we're (laughs) (laughs) professional.
0: yeah this is true this is true Well, welcome back to another episode of Burden of Proof. It has been a minute since we recorded, I feel like. Yeah. Because I was gone last weekend in Toronto.
1: And the weekend before was something else, right? I don't know. Like I said, we're real profesh. I don't remember. Anyway. But when I was- But how was Toronto?
0: When I was in Toronto, I was actually staying in Oshawa, which is where Adam Strong lived.
1: Oh, yeah. That's right.
0: I, yeah. I, we drove by the property.
1: Nice
0: was I cried It's horrifying. Yeah. So, but yeah,
1: I don't mean nice like no, yeah, nice, but nice,
0: but you know, but it was a great trip. Fun. It's great. I loved Toronto. I'm wearing my Toronto shirt today. Nice, mostly because it was clean. <laughs> <laughs> it's laundry day. Saturday is our laundry day.
1: Yeah. Same here. Mm-hmm. All right. I didn't do much last weekend.
0: She just sat Forced. and missed me.
1: Well, I Mind mean, for me, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far.
0: Hey, I
1: have a family and a life. I do not much of one, but I do have a bit of a life. Um, yeah, but we're still remodeling our house, so that was my fun weekend. Anyway, I'm sure everybody's ready.
0: Yeah. Well, what you got for, for the us? case? What you Are got you for ready? Us this week? I'm ready.
1: Okay. I'm tired of saying jump right in, dive right in.
0: I would say let's get into it. And it's like let's
1: get into it. Is there any other ways to say that? Let us know. On social media. I'm thinking
0: of verbs right now. (laughs)
1: Let's run into let's (laughs) run into it. I can't think of a single (laughs) verb right now. (laughs) Let's run into it, shall we?
0: Let's cough into it. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's cough into it.
1: All right, well, if you read the title, then you know we're talking about the murder of Robin Hoyne today. Hoyne. Hoyne. That's a fun last name it to say. It is a fun say, yeah. Hoine, Hoyne. Well, Robin was the second born to a family of four daughters. In 1984, she was 21 years old and working as a manager at the KFC in Torrance, California a city close to the coast, about 30 minutes southwest of L.A. She had picked up a night shift the night before Halloween to cover for the assistant manager, Cheryl, who had had plans with her boyfriend to attend a concert.
0: Oh, so this is going to be like a little lead into spooky season. Spooky episode. Sort of. Kind of. I mean, kind of.
1: I mean, it is spooky season. And this did take place before like right around Halloween
0: well and this episode comes out on the 19th so it is right up there with all of our other Halloween stuff
1: yes
0: (gasps) nice
1: so Robin had told her family that she'd be working the closing shift and then going over to a friend's house to stay the night but she would be back to celebrate Halloween with her sisters as they always did So the Hoyne family thought nothing of it when she wasn't home the next morning as they got up for school, work, etc. Then they carried on with their day. Kim, the eldest sister, and Trisha, the third born, both left for work. Wendy, the youngest sister, left for school. And Trisha and Wendy were both already in costume in anticipation to celebrate the holiday.
0: All right. Do you know what they were dressed as?
1: I do, and actually, Trisha's costume c- comes into play later.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So we're going to hold off on that. I'm not sure what Wendy was dressed up as. She's the high school student, so. It
0: was Wendy from Peter Pan. We'll go
1: with that. Yeah, that's right. I know it's my decision. That's what happened. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the KFC, Cheryl, the assistant manager, arrived to open the restaurant for the day and noticed that Robin's car was still in the parking lot. She thought, that's weird, because she was supposed to close for me last night. Why would she be here this morning? When she entered the building, everything seemed as normal as she walked through the front. It wasn't until she entered the kitchen that she realized how wrong things really were. Oh,
0: no. Oh, no. It's going to ruin KFC. I don't ever go to KFC, but...
1: Honestly, I don't know that this would make the floors any grosser than they already <laughs> are at see. Oh, no. I had a friend in high school who worked at a KFC. Like It's gross. <laughs> uh, okay. Just grease. Grease galore. Your shoes are like, their shoes were not allowed to enter the house. Oh, Lord. Because they were always caked in grease. It was bad. So Robin was lying face down in a pool of blood. Cheryl ran out of the building and sought help for someone to call 911. And when police arrived to find Robin, they found that she had been stabbed twice in the lower back and had slash marks across her face and throat, but no defensive wounds.
0: Hmm. So she was probably unconscious before the injuries occurred?
1: Hmm. Kind of? Not exactly. We'll we'll get into... I'm not a good armchair detective. ...the forensics of it all. In a minute. In a moment. The top bolt on the employee door was unlocked, but there were no signs of forced entry to the building. The safe had been unsuccessfully tampered with, and there was a few drops of blood around the safe, but no fingerprints nor weapon were found. It's a real... It's a real whodunit kind of mystery. Cheryl opened the safe for the detectives and found the bank deposit bag from the night before still in the safe with that night's cash enclosed. Okay.
0: I actually have a picture for what this looks like because I worked retail in high
1: school. So, interesting. It was evident that Robin had been finishing up paperwork when the incident occurred. Near her body there were some items strewn about that appeared to be the contents of her purse, some food things that just got knocked over, etc. Mhm. There was also something odd, out of place, if you will.
0: Other than the the body?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, other than the body.
0: Or Robin? Oh my god. Also
1: near Robin's body there was a small piece of foam rubber a cushioning, if you will, in a rather unique shape. No one could really figure out what it was or where it came from, but they speculated that it was possibly padding from, like, a backpack or a briefcase handle because it was kind of like it was kind of folded in half and it was kind of an oblong shape. Hmm.
0: that is very interesting.
1: But they didn't know... So they bagged it for evidence and set it aside. The detectives interviewed Cheryl and the district manager, Gregory. Cheryl explained that she and Robin had switched shifts and that she knew Robin would never just let anyone in before, like, while she's yeah. closing, especially by herself.
0: Well, A, you don't do that, and B, it's not safe.
1: Exactly. She told them that Robin was always super careful and continuously reminded anyone closing to always lock the door, even when stepping outside just to take the trash to the dumpster or to walk the bank deposit across the parking lot to the drop box at Mm -hmm. the bank. Cheryl also informed detectives that a former assistant manager, William Marshall, had been due to stop by that night. To return his uniform and pick up a briefcase he'd left in the office. <gasps> a briefcase,
0: and we have something that looks like briefcase handle padding.
1: Yes, but it didn't match. Oh, of course it didn't, because that would be too simple. Yeah, the briefcase was intact. Dang it! Did he fix? The but briefcase? it was still there. No. It, it, oh,
0: oh! So he never, sh- he never showed. If it, the briefcase was still there,
1: she's trying to figure this all out. She won't let me tell the story. Sorry.
0: It's a big (laughs) mystery. I I also went to see a a mystery movie last night, so I'm like in the headspace. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I got to figure it (laughs) out. I'm ready. So the detectives found no sign that he had been there. There there were no uniforms laying around in the office or anything Mm -hmm. like that. His briefcase was still sitting in the office. So no, as far as they knew, he had not shown up. That's so smart. The district manager, Gregory, told the detectives something that piqued their curiosity about William, though, despite there being no evidence Mm -hmm. that he showed. Gregory informed detectives that he had continuously had issues since hiring William as an assistant manager on October 2nd. So we're at October 31st, Halloween. Gregory had come to work at this particular store on October 2nd, and he was already fired. Okay, so that's not good. During the few weeks that William held the position, he asked for salary advances multiple times and was extremely late for work on at least two occasions, which got him a temporary suspension. Mm -hmm. Though he was suspended, Gregory did not take away his keys nor change the safe combination. And one night during... Williams suspension money from the safe went missing with no signs of forced entry it's almost like the scorned employee w- broke well, in. at this point yeah I mean yeah at that point it may have been
0: I mean he'd gotten suspended so maybe he was feeling a little bit like this isn't fair maybe stick it to the man steal the money
1: Robin was the one to find the money missing that first morning and reported it to police. And just after William returned to work after his suspension, money went missing again. Hmm.
0: That's suspicious. hmm
1: Gregory suspended William for a second time on October 20th, believing him to be the thief. And then he formally fired him on October 26th.
0: I feel like I should tell listeners that in my head, I am picturing this as like a black and white drama, (laughs) mystery drama movie. So it's very dramatic and very theatrical. And I think you should join
1: me in this endeavor. Okay. Well, at that point, he collected William's keys Changed the combination to the safe and subsequently changed the locks on the building.
0: He took his keys and changed the locks. I guess. Well, yeah,
1: because William, this was 1984. You could easily make a copy yeah. of the key.
0: I mean, you can still easily make a copy of the key. Yeah,
1: depending on yeah, the as long setup. as it's not like a key, like a keypad. Yeah. So the manager did all the right things to try and yeah, protect like it. the store at that point. We'll say. Oh no. See when Gregory heard that William was planning on stopping into the restaurant he decided he should be present given all of yeah the history He arrived at KFC around 7 p.m. and assisted Robin with paperwork while waiting for William to arrive
0: That's a responsible manager to not leave your young employee
1: Mhm a 21-year-old by herself With a thief. You'd think. Oh, no. But see, when William did not show up, Gregory decided to leave, and he said that Robin was finishing up paperwork with the bank bag ready for deposit sitting on the counter when he left. He said he felt uncomfortable leaving Robin, but made sure everything was locked up, and then he waited in his car for a bit, but he felt like he was being watched.
0: So you leave? Also, did they only did they have her scheduled by herself like she was?
1: Yeah, apparently at this particular store, it wasn't unusual to have one person closing one of the managers closing by themselves. Mm, No. Yeah, that's no. But what killed me was, and that bit was taken from court records. Yeah, that's in, you that's feel like in you're the being appeal.
0: watched. You're going to leave her there by herself. He
1: felt like he was being watched, but eventually, and it couldn't have been that long, to be honest, it could. He couldn't have waited that long, but he left anyway. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> okay. I don't, there's nothing else to say about that. That's
0: No, and we're not at all trying to say like, oh, it's his fault, but I'm just saying. No, it's
1: not his fault of what happened, but there's a reason that most restaurants, retail, nobody is allowed to be. Any of the places that I've worked. No, you don't close by yourself. You don't close by yourself ever. There at least has to be two people. At least, yeah. Just for safety. Mm -hmm. That's it.
0: I've worked in small stores. I've worked in big box stores and never.
1: Well, anyway, detectives theorized that Robin knew whoever it was and let them in, but had first placed the money back in the safe and that the perpetrator had stabbed her in the back when she was not suspecting that she, you know, she probably let them in turned around to walk towards whatever the office or wherever she was headed. And that's when they stabbed her in the back. And then at some point after that, they tried to slit her throat before attempting to steal the money out of the safe when they didn't find any, you know, accessible throughout.
0: But what's weird is why was the money back in the safe to begin with? Because I just,
1: I just said that part. Oh. They theorized that she put the money when somebody knocked on the door and wanted oh, to come in. Oh, that's when she, okay. She put the money back in the safe because it was sitting out on the counter. Yeah, that's what I, okay. When the district manager left and then when somebody, whoever it was, showed up, she put the money in the safe to keep it protected. So obviously this was somebody she must have known but not somebody she fully trusted. Mm -hmm. So. The investigative team spent the day, howling day, at the KFC collecting evidence and interviews. One detective went to notify the Hoyne family. When he realized no one was home, he left a note for them to call him back. And it was Kim, the eldest sister that arrived home first and she went ahead and called. She didn't wait for their parents because like I said, Robin was 21. I think Kim was like 23. Mm-hmm. Um, So they're adults. The yeah. only sister that was underage was Wendy, the youngest. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time she was like 16. So Kim talks to the detective. He informs her of what happened. And then it was Kim's job if you will to tell their mom and dad what happened that's horrible and kim says that when she told their mom her mom was in disbelief even saying no you're lying at first which i can't even wrap my head around Mm -mm. like what do you say no i'm not lying
0: why, why would I lie about that? I, I don't think I could do it. I think I would be on the phone and be like, Mr. Policeman, I'm going to need you to I'm come gonna, do it for me. Yeah. Like, I can't.
1: Yeah. Um. Kim then called their dad at work, and he actually remained rather calm over the phone and just said, OK, I'll be there as soon as I can. Like, he's leaving work. He's coming straight home. Mm-hmm. But... In an interview, the sisters, all three of them, talked about how devastated their dad was. He spent years just reeling over the fact that he felt like he failed to protect his daughter. As if there was anything he could have done. So Trisha then arrived home from work and they inform her of what has happened. And she had a complete meltdown because they tell her that Robin's dead and she looks down and realizes that she is wearing Robin's flag girl uniform as her costume oh. with Robin's name like stitched yeah. in. And she freaked. She says she freaked out and started trying to rip the sweater off of her saying, get it off of me. Get it off of me. Oh, my gosh. Wendy was informed while still at school what and i have to say i am so glad that we have gotten better at this because i had a i'll say secondhand experience with that that yes when people would die in your family years ago they would just come and pull they'll pull you out of the class but like they have a school counselor tell you so the reason that I have secondhand experience with that is that happened to a friend of mine when I was in middle school. And she had such a meltdown and was so upset about it that I got called in. She was one of my closest friends. Yeah. And I think the counselor, I don't know, somebody knew. And so they had me come in to sit with her until her family came to pick her up. hmm because they didn't want her just sitting there alone, yeah, sobbing. that makes sense. And that was an extended family member. I'm like, but I can't believe they would just come in and be like, your sisters. Well, they tried not to, but because she said that they, at first, all they told her was Robin has been stabbed. And then uh, she, of course, is like, well, is she, is she okay? okay? And they had to be like, "Um, no, no she's not. But in any case, I'm very glad that I think everybody has better policy now on this and they just, like, come and get you out of school and then let an appropriate person tell you not, like... You know how I know that I have always had, like,
0: OCD or anxiety? Because any time I would get called out of school, I always thought it's because somebody's dead. Oh, no. Like, if I forgot that I had an appointment or something and then I yeah. get pulled out, I was like, oh, my God, that's terrible. I has died. And I would panic until my mom's like, you've got to go to the dentist.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Yeah, well. I mean, I have anxiety with, like, crazy over-the-top thoughts, but not, like, that exactly. Oh,
0: yeah. There's always somebody yeah. dying in my head. Oh, no. That's sad. Yeah,
1: it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um. Okay, so back to the investigation now. Mm-hmm. Detectives, of course, paid a visit to William, Mr. William Marshall, who cooperatively told them that other than a quick tri- trip to the liquor store just before 8 p.m., he was home all night with his girlfriend and her kids. He claimed that he helped her make dinner, spaghetti specifically, for dinner, hung out for a bit, and then he watched some TV after the kids went to bed. They noticed he had a fresh cut on his finger, and when asked about it, he told them, oh, well, I cut it while chopping garlic for the spaghetti. And his girlfriend, Yvonne, confirmed that William was home with her, but she did deny him helping make dinner, and she didn't know where he got the cut on his finger because he certainly didn't get it chopping garlic. She was like, Hmm. listen, I'm going to back you and give you an alibi, but I ain't going to pretend you're more helpful than you were. Yeah. (laughs) So William consented to giving fingerprints and hair samples. And though still a suspect, they had to release him because they didn't have anything. A couple of days later, on November 2nd, the manager of the Fountain Valley KFC where William had been trained before he transferred to the Torrance location. Okay. That manager reported that while closing the restaurant alone, William appeared in the drive-through window around 11 p.m. asking what time it was, though he could easily see a clock from that window. Hmm. The manager stated that he was wearing camouflage fatigues, a dark jacket, a knit cap, gloves, boots, and was carrying a blue duffel bag.
0: Was it cold? I mean, obviously, sometimes where where it's California, it's California, it's not that
1: cold. but it's but LA, the LA even the LA Southern California can get cold colder at night, at night because it's kind of it's borderline desert, so it can get cooler at night. Cool enough okay. that it's not unusual to see somebody dressed. Yeah, but in gloves. But in gloves and a hat That's is unusual. a bit much.
0: Like not just a sweater.
1: Yeah. Outside, William met one of their employees, John Stumbo. 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 <laughs> Who then rang the buzzer on the employee door. The manager opened the peephole, and John asked if William could use the phone. But the manager told them no, as he knew. Wait, you're the guy that got hired here, yeah. trained with us, then went to that other store and just got fired. He wasn't. He wasn't having it. Yeah. So after he made that report, detectives arranged to conduct surveillance on William. They began following him on November 6th in plain clothes and unmarked vehicles. That night, they saw him purchasing narcotics, but nothing else. It was pretty quiet. Okay. It wasn't until November 10th that he returned to the Fountain Valley KFC. He was seen parked in the parking lot, wearing the same clothes the manager had described in his report. And at one point, he drove away, but came back, looked in the window, left again, and eventually returned. (laughs) So he kept Um, going back and forth. Weird, but okay. Mm -hmm. And this time, there were more people closing. They had like two or three people closing, but nevertheless. Okay. The cops are like, this is weird. Yeah, this is What is going on?
0: You're casing the joint, like...
1: Yeah, basically. So, as he approached the restaurant the last time, the detectives decided to arrest him as they were concerned for the safety of those employees. hmm When they searched his car and the contents of the blue duffel bag, they found a knife with a five-inch blade. He was also carrying a pocket knife with a three-inch blade and gloves in his pant pockets. Oop. The forensic pathologist who had conducted Robin's autopsy had very little experience in stabbing cases at the time, and so she estimated the stab wounds to be about nine inches deep. Okay. That's a big knife. Yeah. It sounds like A, I mean I can't imagine that it's easy to figure out. Oh gosh. Ding ding ding. Yeah, don't don't go there. Mm. Don't go there. Yeah, changing the subject. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like we'll touch on that Mm -hmm. at the court case, but I leave it very Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I was the
0: one who started that that. I know. (laughs) And I was like, oh actually that's really gross. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's okay. Though they were able to test the knife they had found in William's bag, and they found that blood it tested positive for the human antigen in the blood yeah. it was reminder it was 1984 mm-hmm. so they couldn't tell okay but whose blood but who, was yeah.
0: i mean they didn't have blood typing then
1: they, they did but what, you had to have a much bigger sample Oh, i see i'm pretty sure and they definitely weren't doing dna regularly i think dna when well, they were still working on it at that point well
0: i figured like they could probably tell if it was like o positive or something but yeah but i
1: think it had to be a bigger thing yeah because he had obviously cleaned the knife it Mm -hmm. just they could tell that there was some there at the at the base of the handle so between william having an alibi albeit a questionable one uh the knife being smaller than what the pathologist initially estimated the wounds to be not being able to trace any hair or fingerprints, and not piecing together what that foam padding came from.
0: Yeah, I I keep coming back to that. What is it?
1: Detectives were at a dead end, and they had to let William go again. And then for 20 years, the Hoyne family had to carry on with life, having seen no justice for Robin. Yep. Wow, a life before surveillance cameras. Even though he was the only suspect, yeah. he was it was the only way that it made any sense, but they had no hard evidence.
0: Oh, that's so difficult to hear. It's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that like near a safe there wasn't a security camera cuz I've grown up in By the time I was old enough to really comprehend surveillance, like everything is on camera.
1: Oh, yeah. No, but not back then. Back then, a restaurant, probably, like they might have had surveillance like on the outside of a building, but even that wasn't common because everything had to be like taped, like VHS tapes. It wasn't.
0: Some people prefer it the other way, but it's situations like this where I'm like, never have gotten away with that now. And that's what makes it so difficult.
1: Yep. It wasn't until 2004 that senior criminalist John Bachrath would pick up the cold case. And of course, the first thing he did was have DNA mm-hmm. testing completed on all the blood samples. Unfortunately, there was no detectable DNA on the knife. That's how little <laughs> yeah, they, so- they had. Um, and all the other samples taken from the crime scene were found to be Robin's. They had kept William's clothing from the night they arrested him, though. So they tested that as well, but they found no DNA that belonged to Robin Mm -hmm. on any of his items. Bachrath also had two different criminalists from the coroner's office review the original autopsy to compare William's knife to the report. Okay. The first one excluded William's knife. But the second one said that depth measurements of stab wounds are so unreliable that many doctors will not even take them. So
0: interesting.
1: He was not willing to exclude it or say it was conclusive, mm-hmm. but so he just said it's a possibility. Yeah. Well, Bachrath then began working with Detective James Wallace, who had a unique background. See, Wallace went to college for architecture and design, so he can often visually piece things together that others cannot. Interesting. And he was immediately drawn to the anomaly in the room, a piece of foam padding. Me too, bro. While looking over all the photographs from both the crime and William's arrest, Wallace was struck by the boots that William was wearing when he was arrested. Hmm. The photo is of William handcuffed and sitting on the street curb while they search his vehicle. And his pant legs are hiked up enough to get a clear view of his boots, including the top of them.
0: I think I know what's going to happen now.
1: Wallace realizes that they're the kind of boots that would have that foam padding in the top around the ankle. You know, the real cushy, cushy Mm -hmm. tops. So when he realized that, he went searching for the box with William's clothing to see if they had also kept the boots. And sure enough, they had.
0: I was going to say it would be really bad if they didn't because why wouldn't you have? Yeah, if
1: you kept all his other clothes. Yeah, you should have the frickin' boots. One of the boots was missing Mm. the foam (gasps) in the padding around the ankle because it had been worn out to the point that it it was like falling apart. Yeah, because it's like cloth over top of that part, not the leather. So it was missing the foam was identical to the foam in the other boot, at least by eye, by looking Yeah. At it. But they still had to do their due diligence, and so they sent it off to the FBI lab for testing. Unfortunately, Wallace was devastated to find out that while they could show the foam from the scene fit the boot, and that it was very similar in substance and what's what's the word i'm looking for i'm kind of i'm kind of ad-libbing here um the lab could not say with certainty that the foam found at the scene was the same as the foam in the boot and they said that it was because the foam taken from the boot contained phthalates and the foam at the crime scene did not oh so in case you're thinking, okay, what does that? What? What? Well, I, my thought is, well, In case it's you're been not a chemist, twenty years. Yeah,
0: maybe the phthalates have gone away.
1: She's got her finger on her nose. I think that's When you're of. like, you're like over here on the nostril. Oh, okay, you're so close. So basically, first you have to know what that. Phthalates are a group of chemicals used to make plastics more durable and flexible. So Wallace knew the boots that we had were sitting in a plastic bag inside a plastic container for twenty years. It picked up the phthalates.
0: The phthalates don't
1: belong being in there, and the one and then the other was put in a paper bag or something different. So it it does make sense that one would be have it and one wouldn't. Wow, but being scientists the lab the lab workers are like uh well sorry but unless you can prove that that's what happened then we can't definitively tell you that
0: but if i was on a jury and they told me this scenario i'd be like if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck it's donald trump like it's Mm. the
1: (laughs) (laughs) right so i don't
0: know what episode that's from but it isn't yes i I, I remember saying
1: that yeah you said it looks like a duck (laughs) i'm the one that said it was trump Anyway, so Wallace knew without connecting the foam to William's boots with hard evidence, they would likely be right back to square one with basically no case. But they didn't give up. The detectives made one last ditch effort in April of 2005 to gather more evidence. And they located William as well as his ex-girlfriend, Yolanda. Yolanda. The couple, obviously, as I said, ex girlfriend, they were no longer together, and Yolanda had moved across the country to Ohio, but William was still in California. Ohio. So, one group of detectives went to Cleveland to interview Yolanda, who initially lied and told them that she didn't remember much due to a head injury she suffered in 2001. That's really specific. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, she told them generally the same story she had in 1984. With one addition, as they began to leave, almost as an afterthought, she stopped them and told them that the day she picked him up from his arrest in November of 1984, he kept repeatedly saying, How am I going to get to heaven?
0: I think this is something you should have mentioned, Yolanda.
1: Well, we'll get to why. She claimed to not know what he meant by that. And, of course, it's not exactly an omission of guilt. Yeah. I'm sorry, an admission of guilt.
0: What did you say? I said
1: omission. Oh. (laughs) My brain's like, that's not the right word. My brain was like, yeah, it's not. Sorry, ADHD. That's a wonderful thing. So detectives are like, okay, well, thanks, Yolanda. That's not very helpful, but thank you. Okay. Meanwhile, the other detectives found William in California, and they found out that he had created a very different life for himself in Palm Desert with the California Department of Forestry. Okay. He became a fire captain
0: he'd be Smokey the Baronet.
1: And no one he associated with in 2005 could have ever believed that William would have been involved in a crime, let alone a murder. Let
0: alone a violent murder.
1: Yes. So, as I said, while the Cleveland, Ohio team detectives went and talked to Yolanda, Detective Wallace and another detective went and talked to William at the same exact time, so that way they were hoping, well, maybe we'll trip them up yeah. and they won't have the same story. You looked like you were about to say something. I thought of a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only you can prevent murder.
0: <laughs> it's a Smokey the Bear murder joke. I, I yeah, get it. Sorry. It's
1: stupid. <laughs> I get it. Okay. So when they go and talk to William, In 2005, he held to his original alibi and was initially cooperative.
0: Mm, Initially seems like the operative word here.
1: Mm -hmm. They questioned him about the wear and tear on the shoes, and he explained all of his shoes would end up like that because he never untied them to take them off. He would just push them off his foot.
0: Which is why. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, He even showed them a closet full of about 15 or so pairs of shoes, which many were very worn, and at least one pair had a padded section around yeah. the ankle that was wore, like torn up, and the foam padding was about to come out just like the boots. I'm
0: looking at my shoes right now because I do the same thing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you can see on the back where they're dirtier on my yeah. right, my yeah, my right foot because I use my left foot first. And so the mm-hmm. bottom of my left shoe.
1: Yeah, matches, and then the shoe forensics side. is fascinating. Yes, it is. <laughs> However, when detectives explained the foam padding found at the crime scene and they believed that it matched the padding in his boots, William was suddenly not so cooperative. Hmm. And he asked for an attorney and the interview was over. I hate when they're smart. <laughs> That's fine. Detectives left. Yeah. They leave. They realize, well, Yolanda hasn't really given us much. He's now lawyered up. But they get a search warrant, and they returned a month later with said search warrant. But when they came back, they found that the closet with all those worn shoes was suddenly cleaned up and empty. Mm. All the shoes were gone. What couple of pairs that were there were too new mm-hmm. to be worn. But he did forget one pair on the back porch. <gasps> they found a worn pair of deck shoes with the same wear and tear as some of those originally in the closet mm-hmm. that they observed.
0: Forgot about the back porch shoes, buddy.
1: Does everybody? I have. A, we have a pair. Oh, yeah. We have a pair of mats. They're Matt's old shoes, and all of us wear them, even though they're huge on me <laughs> yeah. and the kids. <laughs> yeah, Nicholas's
0: uh, his like slides are by the door. Take the dogs yeah. out. Take the oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Can't forget those back <laughs> backdoor shoes. You gotta
0: hide your shoe forensics. Don't forget your backdoor shoes. Yep.
1: Months went by, and still they did not have enough of a case to indict William. Sad.
0: I don't. It's so frustrating because like I feel like they do. But they don't.
1: Everything's so circumstantial, it is, though. exactly.
0: Because when you think about it, I mean, think about it the way that we're presenting it to you mm-hmm. as a true crime case. If you're just telling somebody this story, you're like, come on. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know did but it. it's difficult to prove, you know? Yes, exactly. I don't know.
1: Then in September of 2005, detectives received a call from Yolanda saying she needed to tell them something. Yolanda. Your girl's coming through. <laughs> Yolanda, mm, Yolanda. In her second interview, she admitted that she had lied to them (gasps) and had lied during the investigation in 1984. She explained that William was abusive, which is why she fled the state, and that she was scared he would come for her again if she told the truth.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's a totally valid reason to be scared.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, She must have been going to school at the time in 2005 when they um, talked with her because she said it was a professor of hers that was an attorney. And after the detective showed up in Ohio asking her questions, she then went to the professor and confided everything. And it was them who convinced her to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So she explained that William had told her what to say to the police If they came asking at the time of the murder, she said he was not with her that night and that he told her that he had stabbed Robin when he couldn't get the money, he slit her throat. So he had told her that, well, I stabbed her. I went to get the money. The safe was locked and I couldn't get into the safe to get the money. So then I had to make sure she was dead and I slit her throat.
0: It's just horrible.
1: These are all details that she could not have known unless he told her. Yeah. Because it had been an ongoing investigation. They had never released those details to the public.
0: It's horrible that money was worth more than a 21-year-old's life.
1: Especially when you know how much money was in that. Yeah,
0: not enough.
1: Because I didn't have it in the story, but since we're talking about it, I believe they said that that particular night only held like $700. It's just no amount
0: of money is worth it, but
1: that makes it
0: even more frustrating.
1: Yep. So she also relayed a conversation that she and William had had after she was interviewed by detectives back then. William had asked her what they said, and Yolanda told them, well, They asked me questions, where you were, et cetera. And they showed me a photograph of a piece of foam padding and asked if I knew what it was. And he said, well, what did you say? And she's like, I I don't know what it is. And William pulled out his boot and asked if it was like this. And he pulled out the foam of his second boot. And she said, oh, yeah, it was like that. And he told her, well, that's the one missing from my, my second boot. This is the one for, that's still yeah. in it. And still, even after Yolanda's confession and recanting of her previous statements, it was another year before an indictment was filed and William was arrested. So now we're in 2006. Oh, my gosh. But Needless to say, the Hoyne family was very relieved that the man responsible was finally going to face justice. Hopefully. Yay. Yay. Silent applause. The defense team filed a motion to dismiss for violation of due process under the 5th and 14th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution and Article 1, Section 15 of the California Constitution prior to trial basically saying you took too long it's too late but it's
0: not too late because
1: no their argument was that the quote dimming of memories the death or disappearance of witnesses and the loss or destruction of material physical evidence created a prejudice no
0: no, because you can easily, like, my problem with them just saying, well, we want it to be dismissed because of this, all of those things that you're listing, we can easily prove that are are not a problem. Yeah. So, no.
1: So, interesting thing, though. They requested that the ruling be delayed until after the trial because, quote, the true extent of the prejudice could only be measured after trial at which time the court will have the opportunity to determine whether material witnesses are missing or had poor memories or there was other prejudice caused by the delay in the context of the case as a whole.
0: You know what? That actually makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. I thought that was like, okay, cool. You're not just throwing a motion to dismiss with like nothing. Like you're saying, yeah, we get it. You're going to have to actually hear what these witnesses have to say in order to make a decision.
0: But then at the end, make a call whether or not it's even fair based Mm -hmm. on the evidence presented. Yes. That's okay.
1: And the prosecution agreed to that. So the court granted the delay. The trial began in 2007, 23 years after the murder. Wow. Her poor family. It pretty much consisted of presenting all these piles of circumstantial evidence that we've already kind of gone over. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the end, the jury found him guilty. Because and the, the, he was. Yeah. And the court sentenced him to one year for the use of a deadly weapon and a consecutive life sentence without parole for the first-degree murder of Robin. Beautiful. At the end of the trial, the court denied the motion to dismiss, stating that the prosecution gained no advantage by the delay, that the delay was justified by advancements in technology and development of evidence and that any prejudice was outweighed by the justification. Yep. Be expected. William, of course, appealed. They always do. Contending the following. Number one, that his motion to dismiss. This is I love when they I love when they appeal on the things that they used in their defense. Yes. Yes. And I mean, I get why it's because he no doubt got a different attorney, and that attorney's like, oh, see, this defense attorney should have done something different. Yeah. Like I get it. But it's just come on. If you simplistically look at it, it's kind of comical. So, okay, his number one contention was that the motion to dismiss delay violated his right to a fair trial and due process arguing, quote the delay only served to weaken the defense not because of new technologies but simply because the prosecution witnesses reevaluated their strategy and interpretations of existing evidence to which the appellate court found this claim had no merit
0: yeah he's basically like well by telling them exactly what you wanted them like exactly what the problems were, they were able to solve the problems and they shouldn't have been able to. Yeah. They let their hand go
1: too early. Which, I mean, I I get But
0: that's not going to change the outcome of the case is the problem.
1: Yeah. Number two, that the trial court abused its discretion by admitting evidence of the thefts he was not charged for. To which the appellate court decided this lacked merit because it would have been proven that he, as the assistant manager, knew the location of the money. Yeah,
0: it's just going to make the case. Like it better. didn't matter. Yeah. Because
1: whoever came into the building and stabbed Robin knew where the money was. And here's what, here's without visually seeing this case and, and, mm-hmm evidence of stuff let me explain their safe was not what you probably are thinking of when you think of a safe their safe was hidden in the floor oh my
0: gosh this is a 1920s black and white mystery movie
1: (laughs) i've been saying it from the get-go their safe was round and it and it was hidden under like a panel like you had to pull this panel yeah. out and then. OK, so honestly, what the panel reminded me of is uh, the flat round covers used to access the pool skimmer drains yeah, in yeah, a pool. Yeah. It's just like that, like. You, you would just to- you would just anybody who didn't know, oh, that's where the safe is, is gonna walk right past it mm-hmm. and think that it's like a drain in the floor or like a utility access or something. Yeah. They're not going to realize what it is. So whoever got into it, whoever did this, obviously knew exactly where it was and what it was. Yep. So contention number three. That the trial court committed a prejudicial error in allowing evidence of his poverty and drug use to be admitted, which the appellate court agreed was improperly admitted, but found that the error was harmless.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, this isn't like the staircase and the evidence that shouldn't have been admitted during the staircase, you know, trial.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's not going to drastically change. Yeah. Yeah, That doesn't.
1: No. No. I have mixed feelings. Like, I get why they're saying it shouldn't have been admitted, but I agree that I don't really see it was to show motive. It was to show, like... Yeah,
0: it was to show a history of, re- of re- repeatedly needing money.
1: Yes. So, William's sentencing was affirmed, and he is currently still serving his sentence in the System's Healthcare Facility in Stockton, California. All right. He is now in his 60s. So I imagine he, if he's in a healthcare facility, he's probably suffering from some sort of serious. It could just be right now. I don't know. You can look up to see where Mm -hmm. inmates are located currently. So I don't know if that's a temporary thing or what, but. Well, unless he's come out and said it, there's not going to be any record
0: of why he's there. Yeah. No. Because HIPAA. Yes.
1: But. There you have it. There you have it. I want to say this delicately. I'm not shocked that an addict, because the thing is, he was smoking PCP crack cocaine from Mm -hmm. what his girlfriend had said. And they had seen him buying narcotics when they were tailing him. I'm not shocked that an addict can turn their life around and do something great and, you know, become a fire captain. I am a little shocked that somebody who had all those problems and committed an atrocious, violent murder Mm -hmm. turned their life around and did all of that.
0: Yeah. That was
1: rather shocking to me, which is kind of why I wanted to do this case.
0: I think the shocking part is that he shouldn't have gotten away with it because... In today, like I said earlier, like right now, if he did that, there's no way he would be able to move on for 23 years, you know?
1: Yeah. I also, physically speaking, was shocked that he became a fire captain because I can't imagine smoking those types of drugs. I can't imagine the toll it takes on your body, particularly your lungs, and then to go and do the things you have to do to be a firefighter.
0: Well, he was a fire captain for the forestry, right?
1: Yes. But I think they're training and stuff. They still have to. It She's making a face. It
0: depends. It depends. It depends. It's just... No, I, they're fully trained. I'm not saying that they're not trained. Do not get me wrong. But the gear they use is different.
1: OK. So. I don't. I don't. Yep. I'm not going to. They
0: are trained. And um, Mr. Donald Trump, who said that they are unskilled laborers fighting wildfires. They are trained. And they are very skilled. What? <laughs> Do you not remember this? No. Oh, my gosh. During the California wildfires, he implied or directly said, I can't remember, that the the wildland firefighters were unskilled laborers. And I was like, first of all, no such thing as an unskilled laborer. Second of all, what? Really? That's what you want to say? This is Wild West firefighting, sir. Like, literally, they're sending them out there. With water, go get it. No gear. I mean, they have gear, but not a lot of gear, if any at all. And what? Yeah. I I could be remembering this wrong because it's been several years, but I'm pretty sure that that's what happened.
1: I have no words.
0: Yep. Nobody quote me on that. I'm going <laughs> to fact check it real quick. <laughs> fact check. It was not Trump. It was, It was the California Republican congressman. I apologize.
1: Good. I'm glad you fact check it.
0: Uh, and that was just in 2021. That was two years
1: ago. But, like, that's totally something Trump would say. It is too. something
0: that Trump would say, but. But nevertheless. Oh, that's
1: nice. Yeah. That's Representative nice. McClintock. How lovely. Yeah. Delightful. Is, he, is he just speaking on behalf of, like, his constituents? I don't did they know. Just, did they just send, you know? Daryl and his other brother Daryl out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's because they wanted to pay them less than like fourteen dollars an hour. Or of something. course they did.
1: In California.
0: Yeah, in the middle of fire season.
1: In California. Yeah. Where the where the average what the median home cost is like I was looking up houses in California yeah. one day and I told my husband, we can get a very lovely house in Compton. <laughs> So a very lovely shack yes. in Compton for half a million dollars.
0: Yes. So basically, what happened was he said it will. He was discussing some stuff about climate change and the the pay and the government. The federal government classifies um, forestry technicians or par- or seasonal firefighters um, as skilled labor. Yeah, and they call it highly skilled labor. Is what it's called. Yes. And he said, wildfire fighting, wild fighting is hot and miserable work, but it is not skilled labor. what he said. You don't have to know and how the fire actually works. Everybody was so mad. And oh, they were yeah. like, people die every summer. This is not summer camp, is somebody's quote.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Mm. Anywho. Well, I apologize for thinking that it was Trump, but I won't apologize for why I thought it was Trump, because that's something he would say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally.
0: Anyway, if you stayed all the way to the end of the... <laughs> You made it all the way here. Um, You need... Uh, this is so hard because we found a lot of humor in this episode. But at the same time, this is a 21-year-old girl who... Like, I'm 21. This could be me. And that's terrifying. And, like, her whole life was out of her.
1: Regardless, nobody should die. No,
0: never. For- oh, my
1: God. Nobody should have to die over their jobs ever. Or for money or But anything. especially not when you work for genetically manufactured chicken yeah, company. It's- <laughs>
0: It, it, it's That's not, crazy. It's insane. All right. So if you made it all the way to the end of the episode, leave us the little chicken wing emoji um, and an angel emoji just to... I don't know. I just... I really feel horrible for, for... I mean, obviously, we always feel bad for the victims, but in this case in particular, she's just so young, and she... I mean, not that any victim ever does anything wrong, but just... She was just trying to close and finish her closing shift. And I just, I feel horrible for her. So a little chicken emoji, a little um, angel emoji, and that will enter you in to be featured on our Sunday shout outs in our Instagram and Facebook stories on Sundays.
1: Yes, yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. We'll talk to you next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.